you take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 16. We'll read our text here in just a moment. Uh, as you see, we are beginning a new series uh, today, and that series is all about what it means uh, to follow Jesus. And uh, over the next several weeks, we'll be talking about some of the characteristics of the genuine, uh, full followers of Christ. And it all evolves around that uh, question, what does it look like? What does it mean that I am a follower of Jesus? Um, Now, the answer, the quick answer for a lot of people would be probably, well, it means I acknowledge Jesus or I affirm Jesus. But you know, most of the world does that. Did you know that? Most of the world affirms Jesus. Uh, still, it's, the numbers are declining, but still, even in America, something like 77% of the population, depending on which poll you want to look at, but something like 77% of the population still says that they, that they follow Jesus. Now, that's way down, by the way, over the last 20 years, but again, it's still a, a vast majority of people say, yeah, I, I follow Jesus. Uh, but what does that really mean? Because we know this, that if... of the people in our culture were following Jesus, there'd be a lot of changes, don't you think? There'd be a lot of differences in our culture if that many people were truly following Jesus. And I would add, I think there are a lot of people in our churches today who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but their behavior doesn't evidence that they really are followers of Jesus. A lot of times, I'm afraid when people say I'm a follower of Jesus, what they're really saying is, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, but Jesus doesn't really impact my life very much. Garibaldi was a famed Italian uh, general. He was a military hero in the 19th century. And he raised this incredible volunteer army. And when he made his appeal to recruits, he said this, and this is a quote. This is what he said to, now think about this. You're trying to recruit a volunteer army, right? How would you do it? You'd probably promise them a whole lot of things. Look, if you come and go with us, we're going to give you a shiny new uniform. If you come, you're going to get three hot meals a day and a cot every night to sleep in. If you come and and serve, we're going to take care of everything. Well, listen to what he said. This was his appeal. He's trying to build an army. He says, and he did, by the way, an incredible army. But here was his appeal to recruits. I offer neither pay nor housing nor provisions. I do offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. So let him who loves his country with his heart and not with his lips only come and follow me. That doesn't sound like a way to build an army, does it? But he did, incredibly. Did you know Jesus makes a similar appeal? In the book of Luke, chapter 9, It says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you, Jesus, wherever you go. And Jesus said back to him, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And it says he goes further on down the road and a man says to him, says, hey, Jesus, uh, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, then come and follow me. And he says, but first I have to take care of some things. And Jesus replies back to him and says, nobody that has put their hand to the plow and turns back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus invites us to be his followers, but he says it requires a full kind of devotion to be a real disciple, a real follower of Christ. It's an invitation to join him and be disciples of his kingdom. He is not making a request of us that he could join us where we're going. Jesus isn't saying, hey, I want to connect with you so wherever you're going, I can go. What Jesus is saying, I want us to connect so you can go where I'm going. Jesus is up front. He tells us right off that there's a cost involved sometimes, that sometimes it's going to be tough and, and, and it's going to require discipline and devo- devotion. In fact, to rephrase Italian General Garibaldi, Jesus might have said it like this, let him who loves me with his heart and not just with his lips come and follow me. Well, 
That's what we're talking about in this series. What does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not just someone who says with their lips, oh yeah, I'm a, I, count me in, I'm a follower of Jesus. Mark Batterson in his book, All In, says, and I quote, most people in most churches think that they're following Jesus, but I'm not so sure. They may think they're following Jesus, but the reality is this, they have really invited Jesus to follow them. Then he goes on to say, too many times, I want Jesus to follow me. I want Jesus to serve my purposes. I want Jesus to do my will. But he says, what I want to challenge you to is to join me in saying, God, I want you to revive my life. This is good for us. God, revive my life. I want to follow you. Help me to get out of the way. And God, would you navigate my life according to your will? And so if you're going to be a full follower of Christ, everything starts right here. This message is kind of an introduction to the series because if you don't get right what I'm talking about here today, you'll never be a full follower of Christ, okay? So that's why this message is is titled, It All Starts Right Here. And it's taken from this passage in chapter 16, verse 13. Follow along with me in your Bible, if you will. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, that is the disciples said. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you would use your word to quicken our hearts and our minds, to challenge us, Father. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. Would you use your Holy Spirit and his presence here to take your holy word that you have inspired infallibly, and would you, Father, speak into our lives your truth and cause us, Father, to walk out different than we came in. And now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer, for I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the setting of this passage is a beautiful setting. Um, Recently, I notified we were planning to go on a Holy Land trip in December, and we've had to pull the plug on that. We've had to pull the plug on it, and I hate to do it. We've reset it twice, but we'll have to wait till after the COVID uh, thing gives us real clearance. But uh, there's so many new rules Israel is imposing, and they're up and down, up and down, and um, the company that I used just, uh, and it's a rare thing, but they said, it's probably not wise. And I said, I'm glad you came to that conclusion because I'd already come to that conclusion. But I tell you that to say, one of the places we go when I take people to the Holy Land is we go to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a beautiful place. I mean, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's in Palestine and, and it's on the kind of the northern side of the uh, sea of Galilee. And it was a place of worship back in when Jesus was writing this. It was a common place. And in fact, there was a big temple built into a cave, a temple to Pan, the god Pan. And it was built into the cave. And in that cave, there was this massive wall, I mean, several stories high. And in that wall are these niches. And people would put different gods or nymphs in those niches, and they would come to this place as they worship Pan, and then they would worship various idols, depending on whatever thing was going on in their life. They had these idols to all these different kinds of things. 
And so they would come and worship those idols in those niches. If you go there today, when we take a trip, uh, the cave is not fully developed anymore. It's kind of collapsed, but the wall is still there. And you can walk right up to the wall where all these little niches are, and you can see where they used to have. And this is a set, and it's a, it's a lush area. It's, there are beautiful green fields in this area. There are trees, and that's a rare thing. Uh, in uh, in Israel to have uh, like these big forests and and there's beautiful water. In fact, at this place, there's this beautiful stream that runs there right past this. It's crystal clear. In fact, you can drink out of it with your hand. It's that pure. It's just a beautiful setting. And so people were constantly coming and they were coming to worship. And it's against that backdrop. Have y'all got that picture in your mind? These people coming to worship that Jesus and his disciples are there, and Jesus says to his disciples, who do men, who do all these people that are coming here, who do they say that the Son of God is? It's the perfect setting to ask the question in. And you see what the disciples answered, didn't you? They said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're the prophet Jeremiah, you know, reborn. Uh, some say you're just one of the other many prophets of the age. They had these uh, lots of different prophets in the age. So some say that's who, that's who you are. And then Jesus asked the question that is probably the most important question he had asked them to that time. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who, I, we know now who they say I am, but who do you say I am? And you know what? That was a powerful question then. Do you know that question is just as powerful today? In fact, in many respects, I would say maybe even more so because of the proclivity of the age we're living in to worship all kinds of gods and all kinds of things. And so Jesus would say to us, he would still say to us, I think if he walked in here today, he would say, who do you say that I am? Not just, oh, you're Jesus. But it gets personal. We'll talk about that this morning in the passage that I want, to, I want us to examine. You see, this is a vital question for us today. Now, we all have to answer this question. And your answer makes all the difference in the world because your answer to that question determines eternal destiny. So let me show you three truths that I believe will help you as we begin this series Discover how to fully devote yourself to Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing that we learn from the passage. Number one, we must avoid the world's useless speculation. Now, I'm not trying to be ugly at the world, but the point is, uh, if you ask this same question today, who do, does the world say that I am? Who does the culture say that I am? You'll get a lot of different answers, right? Have you ever had one of those family gatherings, you know, and everybody starts talking about God and what they believe or about Scripture and what they believe? And, you know, you can hear all kinds of things, can't you, when you get the fam together? Or maybe in your workplace, people get on something, and here's what I think about God, and here's what I think about Christ and all that. We're coming into the Christmas season. Isn't that hard to believe? You say, this October, but we're com- this is, you know, this, they call this the prime time. And you know what? Every year at this time, the closer we draw to Christmas, the more you will hear secular, the world, talking about how Jesus is not necessary for Christmas. And there will be lots of articles. There are always editorials and articles. And, and, and the, it, like the world says, we've got to get Jesus out of this thing. And let's just have the holiday. There is really le- legitimately no such thing as Christmas without Christ in it. Christmas was birthed out of the idea that Jesus was birthed. But every year we hear that. Why is that? Because the world, they don't get Jesus. Now, we shouldn't get angry at them for not getting it. Why would they? But we have to be careful with that. And if we're not careful, what we do is we start adopting the ideas of the world. Well, this is what I believe about Jesus, but you know... I don't understand this, and I don't get this about God, and I don't get this about Jesus. And if we're not careful, we start allowing the world to shape our ideas about who Jesus is. 
And one of the things that Jesus was trying to do with his disciples right here is to move them beyond the speculations of the world. Because when he says this, notice that it's just full of speculation, isn't it? Because he said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. That's not, John the Baptist wasn't a bad guy, was he? Some say you're Elijah. Was Elijah a bad guy class? No. Some say you're Jeremiah the prophet. Y'all, look, was Jeremiah a bad guy? You, you, are you, y'all guys out there? These weren't bad people they were referencing, were they? But it's just the wrong answer. It was just the wrong answer. And you know, still, that's what goes on. So we have to be careful that we don't allow the speculations of the world to form our opinions of Christ. Because they will. And you know, I'm amazed sometimes at how easily Christians say, well, you know, this is what I believe, but, you know, I want to give enough latitude. Folks, we have to be careful that we don't allow the subtleties of the world's ideologies to shape our theology. Do you get that? We have to be careful that we don't allow the subtleties of our culture's culture's, uh, uh, ideology to shape our theology. Because it's very subtle and often, listen, very innocent. If you ask the question today, who do men say that I am? You'll get some interesting answers. I know that because I watched two interviews as I was working on this message in which a man on the street, you know, y'all know the man on the street thing, asked that question, that very question, who is Jesus? Listen to these answers. One man said, well, Jesus was a good man with an encouraging message. Another said he was a prophet and a man with strong connections to God. (laughs) I'll say. Another says he was a real person, but he wasn't a a Messiah. He was just a man with, with very important things to say to make us more civilized. Another said Jesus is love. That's what Jesus is, and he is. Another uh, said, for me, he's just a super smart person. Yeah. Jesus, one uh, lady said, is just a character in a story that represents good things. Another stated, well, I think he was a marketing genius because he got people to believe him. Here's one lady said, he was God's son. But so was Gandhi, and so are we. We're all equal in this thing. So Jesus isn't any different than than any of us. And then the last said, well, I think Jesus was a magician on the level of David Copperfield. Wow. Why is the answer to that question so important? Well, as I said, because Jesus determines our destiny. And that's why he's asking this of the disciples. Do you get it? Do you know who I am? I'm not just like Elijah or John the Baptist or Jeremiah. I'm not what they're saying out there. Don't let the world's speculation lead you down the wrong path. And that the disciples' answer revealed false opinions, didn't it? Good guys, but false opinions. Well, John writes later, in John chapter, Second uh, uh, John verse seven, he says this: "For many deceivers have gone out into the world." Listen how he characterizes them: those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. It doesn't mean that they're bad people, but they don't get it. They don't confess that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. I'll talk about that in a moment. So we have to be careful that the world doesn't dictate uh, our ideas of Christ. And Jesus is making sure the disciples understand there is a distinction between even the good folks of the culture, the godly servants of the kingdom, and who he is. And too often I think we're we're confused by the ideas of the world about Jesus. You see, the best the world can offer about Jesus is speculation. Never forget that the best they can do is speculation. That's why there's so many opinions. And if you listen to it, it's going to take you down a path of spiritual destruction. 
You say, that's pretty strong. Well, I didn't say it. Solomon said that. In Proverbs chapter 14, this is what he said. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death or destruction. So that's why we have to be careful that we don't uh, allow the speculations of the world to form what we know the truth of God's word says about who Jesus is. So to really follow Jesus, we must avoid the world's useless speculation. The second thing we have to do is we must, here it is, acknowledge his divine incarnation. Notice what Peter says in verse 16. So after Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter's response is, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He's talking about uh, the incarnation of Christ. Now, all right, more than just avoiding the speculation of the world, there's something else we have to do. We must We must embrace the incarnation. So one is to avoid the false ideas. The other is to embrace the true idea of who Christ is. Do you get it? One says, you you know, don't let the world form a faulty view of Christ. Then Jesus says, but here's the truthful view, the incarnation of view. In 1 John chapter 4, John writes and says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's incarnation, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The Scripture says the, the test of discipleship includes the confession that he is God. Jesus is more than just a man. He is God. He was God in the flesh. And he says, by the way, he goes on to say, if you can't make that confession, the only confession you make is actually a confession that is in line with the spirit of the Antichrist, who is anti-God. He said, this is how we know, because we confess that Jesus is not just a good man that was born. Jesus was sent by God. And that he was perfect. He took on flesh. The fact is, he just wasn't an ordinary man. And that means he was more than a prophet. He was more than a teacher. He was more than just a good man. Listen, he was God. He was Messiah. He is Redeemer. And that's why it's so important that we get this. There's a fantastic little book. I've given it away for years by Josh McDowell. It's called More Than a Carpenter. More than a carpenter. And this little book, Josh McDowell, uh, a a premier apologist, uh, who, by the way, was an atheist and set out to prove that Christ was not uh, the Messiah and got saved researching it many years ago and through the resurrection. And, but, but this little book, More Than a Carpenter, is a great book for anybody to read, in, in particular to give to someone who struggles with who Jesus is, and he addresses this, this whole thing. But in the book, he says this, men and women down through the ages have been divided over the question of who is Jesus. And then he says, why so much conflict over one individual? Why is it that his name, more than the name of any other religious leader, causes irritation? Why is it that you can talk about God and nobody gets upset? And that's true, isn't it? Because you can just throw out God and everybody says, oh yeah, God. And he says, why is it you can talk about God and nobody gets upset? But as soon as you mention Jesus, people so often want to stop the conversation. Or they become defensive. He goes on to write, he said, I mentioned something uh, about Jesus to a taxi cab driver in London. And immediately the driver said, I don't like to discuss religion, especially Jesus. He writes, how is Jesus different from other religious leaders? Why, do, uh, why don't the, the names of Buddha, Muhammad, and Confucius offend people? Have you noticed they don't? But Jesus does. He says, why is that? Then he answers, the reason is that these others didn't claim to be God, but Jesus did. And that that is what makes Jesus so different from all the other religious leaders in the world. And as I've told you, not only that, but he died for his constituency. All the other religious leaders want the constituency to die for them. 
So Peter's statement was not just right when he said, you are, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was right, but it, it was essentially uh, saying this is what it means to be able to follow Christ wholeheartedly. And I want to tell you something, as the end of the age, whenever that is, and we're certainly moving that way, we know that as the end of the age approaches, let me tell you what the great, one of the greatest battles for, for believers in Christ will be. Do you know what it'll be? It will be to hold fast to your confession of faith and truth. That's going to be one of the greatest believers. That's why Jesus said, when the Son of Man shall return, will he find faith on earth? Because there are going to be many people that will say, I just can't stand there. I, I can't take that kind of stand. It's too costly. We're going to see, we're seeing stuff like that in our culture right now. And it's going to get worse, especially as it relates to the true church of Jesus Christ and true followers of Christ. And there are many, there are many of those who say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and they're going to fall away. They're going to they're, they're collapse. They're going to say, no, this is, I, I, I can't go down that road because the, to, to be a, a true follower of Christ is going to cost me too much in the culture. It, that's, that's where we're headed. And so one of, the great, one of the greatest battles for believers in Christ is going to be to hold on to the faith that they confess. Why in the book of Jude, uh, uh, it says that we must earnestly contend for the faith that was once and forever delivered to the saints. Jesus didn't ask us, by the way, to confess that we like him. Jesus wasn't looking, you know, for us to say, okay, I like Jesus. That's a pretty easy confession. Jesus wasn't looking for us to say, I, I like the way he teaches. Jesus wasn't looking for that. That's not, not at all what Jesus is, is looking at. Jesus calls us to embrace him not as a teacher, not as uh, uh, just a good man, but to embrace him as the one and only God. And that's what he's trying to get them to do. And if you are going to be a full follower of Christ, you're going to have to embrace the incarnation that he wasn't just a man born. He was a man sent, sent from God, who was not uh, connected to God. He was God in the flesh. God took on flesh. Paul talks about it in Philippians and other verses. And so uh, Jesus wasn't saying, do you like me? But he says, do you understand who I am? And then if you understand who I am, are you willing to submit your life to me? So to really follow Jesus, we have to avoid the world's useless spe speculation. And then we must acknowledge his divine incarnation. And then last, if you want to be a full follower of Christ, you must announce your personal declaration. Your personal declaration, verse 16, to refer back to that again, where uh, Simon Peter replied. Simon Peter replied, tells us this, this is personal. And here's what's going on. Jesus moves beyond the corporate opinions of the world. What are they think? What do the surveys say? That's how we do it today. Well, let's get a consensus out there of what they say, and then we'll operate on their consensus. Jesus moved, blows right past that. Once he, he says, well, this is what they say, he, he, and, and he redirects it, and he makes it very personal when he says, but what do you say? And there's both the plural side of the disciples, what do you all say? And then there is the personal side where... It is, but Peter, what do you say? Jesus is moving beyond the religious opinions of the day. And there were a lot of them. Remember where this is happening? Remember the setting I told you about? Full of idols. I mean, a wall that was probably at least three to four stories high, just full of idols. What are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? And so Jesus blows past that. He says, okay, that's what they worship. What are you worshiping? Who are you declaring? What is your God? What is the God that shapes your life? And it's still true. Have you answered that question? I want to ask you, have you answered the question, who is Jesus to you? I'm not saying like, you know, people will say, and the staff knows I have this pet peeve when people go, well, I believe God's word, but I just also choose to believe. You don't believe it if you also choose to believe something else that you insert because you're uncomfortable by believing what it says. Listen, 
There are people today who say, well, I believe, I believe Jesus was, you know, uh, uh, I do believe he was from God, but I also believe, I told you, probably told you, but it, it bears repeating right here some years ago. After a message I preached, we had this reception for people, and, I'm, and I would go out, and I would greet our, our, our visitors and guests, and we'd have, you know, orange juice and donuts, and we'd give them a copy of the message that morning. We, we had the capacity to duplicate the messages that quick, and we'd give them a free copy, being our guests. I'd get to meet them and that sort of stuff. And on this particular Sunday, the lady, a lady says to me, I'm visiting, and I just want you to know, I just loved your message today. I said, well, thank you so much. And, you know, I'm ready to just take all the accolades, Chase. You know, oh, good, man, I really got connected. And then she goes, there's just one thing I disagree with. Oh. And I said, well, what would that be? And she said, I disagree with that part where you said Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And I looked at her and I said, well, that's a pretty significant disagreement since my whole message was about that. And this is what she said. She said, I know, I know, uh, uh, but I just choose to believe that there are many ways to God. All those, you know, all the, I just think there are many ways to God. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, do you believe the Bible? She said, oh, yes, I believe the Bible. I said, do you believe the Bible is from God? Oh, yes, I believe that. I said, do you believe that passage in John 14 where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me? And this is what she said. I kid you not. She said, oh, yeah, I believe that. It's just that I also believe that Muhammad is a way, and I also believe that Confucius is a way, and I also believe Buddha is a way. How weird is that, Right? And yet, that's the picture of our world, isn't it? I believe, but. You know what Jesus is saying? You can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm also. Or, or uh, Jesus shapes my life, but so does this. And so Jesus is not inviting himself to go wherever you're going. Jesus is saying the road is narrow, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. I'll leave it up to you, but I'm inviting you to go with me. You can, and the amazing thing about Jesus, he never chased anybody down that left him. <clears throat> when Jesus called a person, he said, you come or not. That's why it says when he called the disciples, immediately, they put their nets down and followed him. We always think, don't you? I mean, honestly, your flesh goes, well, gosh, I mean, Jesus, come on, give them a break. Let them put their boats up and their nets up and that kind of stuff and then call it and follow you. But they, it says immediately they dropped their nets and they followed him. You say, well, is Jesus going to ask me to do it? I don't know. He could. And if he did, he'd be right. You believe that? Now, chances are you're safe. But do you understand what he's doing? He's drawing a picture of commitment. That's why when the, you remember the rich man came to him and said, I want to be your follower. That's what, and Jesus had a lot of these that came and said, I want to be your follower. And Jesus said, well, really? He said, well, uh, let, let's do a little exam. And Jesus said, do this and this. Have you done this and this? Jesus, it, this wasn't about legalism. Jesus just wanted to show the man he wasn't nearly as committed as he thought he was. And Jesus, being God, knew exactly what was in the man's heart. He knows what's in your heart and my heart. And so Jesus says to him, and the guy says, I've done all those things. And Jesus says, okay, there's one thing you like. You want to follow me? You want to be a disciple of mine? Okay, he said, sell all that you have and come and follow me. Y'all remember that story? Anybody remember that story? And you know what the Bible says? The guy, listen, this is the guy. Jesus didn't approach him. He approached Jesus. <laughs> and, he said, and he says, I want, to be, Wally, I want to be your follower. That's what he said. Jesus, let me be your follower. Jesus didn't say, that guy right there, man, he could make a difference if we could get him. By the way, Jesus doesn't need you to do his work. He invites you to be a disciple. Do you realize what an honor and privilege that is?
He invites you. He says, come. And by the way, he adds, all you who are burdened down and weary. I might add this morning, are you burdened down and weary? Come. Jesus says, come on. Come on. Take my load. It's light. And give me your load. Exchange your life for my life for the rest of your life. That's what Jesus says. And so the rich man says, well, I, Jesus, this is the only one thing. Jesus knew his heart. Look, I don't think that parable is about money or that story is about money. I think that story is about commitment. And Jesus knew the one thing that that man wouldn't give up to follow him. I want to ask you something. Look, what's your one thing or two things or three things? You can say, Jesus, everything but this, everything but these things. I, 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 I won't go there. I won't give that up. I won't like, and now, now, having said that, let me tell you the next thing that the devil does. The devil takes that sort of thing and then says, you know what God would ask of you? He's going to ask the worst of you. He's going to ask you to give up the thing you cherish the most. And I, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that he longs to give the righteous, righteous, emphasize on that word, emphasis on that word, the, the, the longings of their heart. Not to rip the longings of their heart away. He just won't surrender. Right? And so the rich young ruler, the Bible says, this is a cool thing, the Bible says that his face, his countenance dropped. It would be like this. Okay, there's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And he goes... I didn't know that's what this was about. When I was called to minister at 13, I went to see my pastor. And I sat in his office, and we we're a little rural church. And I didn't know what being called to ministry was all about. I had no clue. I, I just knew God had done something in, in my life, and I was trying to figure it out, and I thought he could give me some help. My mom said, go talk to go talk to Brother Gerald and let's see if he can help you. And he did. And here's one of the things Chase, he said to me, he said, you know what I want you to do? <laughs> I want you to preach some Sunday to our people. I'm 13 years old. And when he did that, I, never, I went, oh, no. I didn't know that's what this stuff was all about. I said, that's one thing I'll never do. Five decades later, look, he says, well, I want you to teach a class. Would you teach? We had training union is what they called it on Sunday nights. And so he said, would you just teach some of your peers? I said, yeah, I can do that. Oh, man, what great friends I must have had. I must have killed them. It was horrible. We taped it. Cassette tapes, y'all don't even know what a cassette tape is. Cassette every week. Oh, man, it's horrible. I have those archives somewhere, and I've devoted them to destruction at some point. <laughs> you know what God is wanting for us? It's, he's just wanting us to say, yes, that's what it means to be a fool. And so the rich young ruler goes, I can't do that. And the Bible says he turned and he left. And you know what the amazing part to me is about that story? Is that Jesus didn't chase him down. Because he was a good guy. He had morals. Jesus told him to honor his father and mother and all. He said, I've done that stuff. He called Jesus a good teacher. That's manners. Good teacher. I want to be your disciple. And most of all, he had money. Man, we could use that in the kingdom. We could use that for, to advance the agenda that we're working on. And he turned and he left. And Jesus didn't say, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait. Come on back. Let's talk. I tell you what, you can be my disciple, but you won't have to be like the other disciples. You can kind of set your own terms. Jesus never did that. Never. And sometimes... What Jesus is wanting, it, it, and Jesus isn't trying to make your life miserable. You know, we sometimes think, yeah, okay, I'm surrendered to Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I sold out to Jesus. That's not selling out to Jesus. 
Jesus is not a joy thief. You sell that to me. <laughs> you know when Paul got saved? You know what God told Ananias, kind of his immediate mentor and tutor, you know what God told him? He said, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. This was a man who was rising in the Pharisees. He had, he had money. He had, he had it all by the world's standard. I'll show. And you say, yeah, that sounds like a joy thief to me. Really? Then why could Paul sit in a prison cell and sing praises to God if God was a joy thief? Why could Paul write words that say, rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Jesus isn't your joy thief. Don't listen to that lie from hell. Because that's where it was birthed. Yeah, you come to Jesus, he'll, he'll, he'll make you miserable. I want to tell you something. You sell out to Jesus and you're going to find, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The reason so many Christians are just struggling along is because they're trying to straddle the fence. They're trying to stay in the middle between the world not making me happy and Jesus not taking everything from me. And that's what the devil has convinced us of so often that if you become a follower of Christ, your life is about to become miserable. Folks, the most fulfilling place in your life, I'll stake my ministry on is being in the will of God. It's the most fulfilling place that you can be. Well, y'all have used up almost all my time. Let me move on. Your personal declaration. Jesus isn't looking for more religion. He's not looking for more denomination, but what he's looking for is a personal declaration that results in personal dedication. Vance Habner, an old preacher, said this. Think about it. A husband or a wife who is 85% faithful to their spouse is not faithful at all, right? I mean, look, let's don't do a survey in here on that one. But would you, would you marry somebody who said, now look, I'm going to be faithful to you 85% of the time. <laughs> would you do that? Anybody in here do that? You better not raise your hands. I'll be faithful to you, but only 85% of the time. But think about it. That means I'm unfaithful 15% of the time. The other 85%, you got me. Nobody would do that. Nobody would agree to that kind of relationship. And then Havner adds this. Well, there's no such thing as part-time loyalty to Jesus either. Jesus, I'm gonna be, look, I'll be faithful to you about 75% of the time. The other 25%, I'm going to kind of do my own thing. Augustine, one of the great church fathers, said, Jesus Christ is not valued at all until he is valued above all. He's not valued at all until he's valued above all. Y'all getting it? Peter's declaration was personal. It was powerful. And it was bold, but it wasn't popular. In his day, that was not acceptable to the religious people of his day, nor was it acceptable to the general culture of his day. And it still isn't, but I want to tell you, it's still essential. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you got to get this right. It starts here. And Jesus said this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. In, in Mark's gospel, Jesus said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, uh, in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And Paul would later write in Philippians, so that the at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, who you follow makes all the difference. 
And the day is, Jesus says, the day's coming when we're going to all stand before the Father. Paul says the day's coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God. Every knee. That means the big and the small, the rich and the poor, the successful and the unsuccessful by the world's standard. Everybody will kneel before the saved and the unsaved. Everybody. Some will kneel in absolute adoration and worship. That'll be cool. I hope that's you and me. And some will kneel in utter shame and regret because they never truly followed Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, decide who you're following. And if you'll not follow me here, don't think that I'm going to tell my father, oh yeah, they're one of my followers, even though they didn't follow me. They just said they followed. What's your declaration? Peter made his personal declaration, didn't he? He, he said, you are the Christ. And he understood the implications of that. Martha, you remember Martha? Mary and Martha. Martha made her personal declaration. You are the Christ, the Son of God, she said in John 11, verse 27. And Thomas, we always go, oh yeah, there and there's Thomas. Everybody seemed to get it, but Thomas, remember, because Thomas said, I'll not believe unless I, I, I put my finger in his palms and in his side. I'll not believe. Jesus is so gracious because he let him do it. But you know, in that passage, you know, Thomas made his personal declaration. He said, my Lord and my God, my master. Stephen, y'all remember who Stephen was? Paul probably was responsible for the death of Stephen. And as he lay being stoned to death, he looked up and he said, Jesus, my master, my Lord. Have you made your declaration? Andrew Murray, one of the great Christian classic writers, said God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life that is fully yielded to him. So, again, what's your declaration? I want to urge you today to declare Jesus, to receive him for who he really is, not just a religious figure, but to receive him as the Son of God and the Savior of your soul. Why is that important? Because it determines your destiny. We started with that. I end with that. The need to declare whose side you really belong to. Um, shortly after joining the Navy, there was a young recruit, and he went to his his superior officer, asking him if he could have a pass so he could attend the, a, a wedding. And his supervising officer uh, gave him the pass, but then turned around and informed this young recruit, now, here's your pass for the weekend, but you have to report back here on Sunday evening at 7 p.m. And the recruit looked at his commanding officer and said, but sir, you don't understand. I'm in the wedding. To which his superior officer turned back and said, no, son, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. I want to just say this to you this morning. Do you know what it means to follow Jesus? It means you understand where your allegiance is. You're not in the world. You're in the kingdom. And so the kingdom determines the agenda of your life. Will you bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking about? I wonder, those of you who may be watching us by live stream, TV, whatever venue, those of you in this building, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking about. I want to ask you a question. Have you put your trust in the only one that can save your soul? Have you 
and your heart said, I am a follower of Jesus, and I haven't invited him to go with me. I have chosen to go wherever he wants, be whatever he wants me to be, uh, and I want to identify myself with him. I don't want to be religious. I want to be related. If that's you this morning, you can put your trust in Christ right where you are, watching on live stream television right here in this audience. You can call out to him. You can say something and mean it from your heart like this, Lord Jesus. Thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. I want you to come into my life. I don't want to just be a person who knows about you or can even talk about you. I want to know you personally. I want to make my personal declaration of trust in you. Come into my life. Forgive me. And be my Lord, my Master, and my God. Maybe you're here today and say, I've done that. But you know what? I've forgotten that I serve Him. And I've kind of lived with the expectation that He would, he would bless my way or my will. And I'm tired. It's just not working. Would you say to Him, Lord, I'm sorry for doing it my way. Return me to the old path of your way. I surrender to you again, afresh, anew, to be your disciple. You have me, Lord, wherever, whatever, whenever, however. You got me. I belong to you. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I've lost it, Lord. Restore it to me today. Let me experience the fullness of your presence and power anew. Now, Lord, I know you hear those prayers. You have promised whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I know you hear us, Father, when we call out to you. Father, would you hear these prayer offerings to you, both for salvation and for renewal? Would you speak in these moments before we're gone? For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to quietly stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. No one looking about in this place. Would you quietly stand? Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to be here at the front. This altar is open. Would you like to come and talk with him? You're praying through something. You're praying for someone, whatever it may be. Would you come and kneel around the altar? Maybe you prayed that prayer to trust Christ with your soul. I want to invite you to come. Staff members will be on these aisles. Just come and take one of us by the hand and say, here's the decision that I've made today. Maybe you'd like to become a member of this church. You say, I am a believer. I just need a family. Would you slip out? Would you come balcony or ground floor? Maybe... Like Lonnie, you need to be baptized. You've never been baptized. We won't do it today, but maybe, maybe you need to schedule that. and We'd love to help you with that. Would you slip out and come and say, Pastor, I need to do that. Would you listen to the voice of the Lord as Bradley sings and leads us? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking about in this place. We're going to be gone soon, so you slip out right now. Would you come on right now? Come on.